0: Well, hey there, everyone, I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast, and I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. Good to see you. Thank you so much. Had you, trust you had a great, great uh, Thanksgiving. Those uh, watching online, we welcome you as well because it's a joy to be a part of the family of God. Amen? Amen. So, wherever we are listening, whether it be here in person or online, we thank you for joining us. Uh, Today, we continue our series of Old Testament prophets, and we look at one of the minor prophets. Now, his message is certainly not minor, nor any of the other minor prophets. They're only called minor simply because they're shorter. They're shorter. And because of the uh, size of the books. The major prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, Isaiah, uh, those are, and Jeremiah, those are major prophets because they're longer. But uh, the one we're looking at today is only seven chapters long. It's Micah. Micah. And I would like to put uh, Micah, why Bethlehem? That's going to be one of the thoughts we think about today. Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? But there were only seven chapters in, uh, uh, in this minor prophet. But in that, they're given several major prophecies. Gives us the fall of Samaria. Gives us the fall of Jerusalem. Destruction of the temple. All about 100 years before it happened. Exile in Babylon. even told us how long it would be. The return from captivity. The birth of Jesus to be in Bethlehem. He was quoted by Jesus. How many thinks if he's quoted by Jesus, that probably shouldn't be called a minor prophet. But he was quoted by Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. Read a few verses. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and and a daughter against his mother and her daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. That was a quote from the book of Micah. And then we find he was quoted by the Sanhedrin. Now, those was the religious leaders, but in, in Matthew chapter 2, we find where he quoted, and we we'll begin reading at verse 4. Matthew chapter uh, 2, that wasn't the quote, later on his quote, but it gives us introduction, where it says, uh, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the People, he inquired of them, talking about the Sanhedrin, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and this was the prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So again, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, quoted this minor prophet. And then, over in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, one of the major prophets, we find that the elders, or the again, the Old Testament religious leaders, quoted uh, the book of. Um, Micah. Now we need to understand something. In in the in the Bible, Micah is after Jeremiah, but actually Micah served uh, a generation ahead of uh, Jeremiah. They just didn't place it in the Bible in that order. But we find in, in Jeremiah chapter twenty-six, verse sixteen. Jeremiah twenty-six, sixteen, where it says, Then the officials and all the people said to the priest and to the prophets, This man, speaking of Jeremiah, does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And certain of the elders of the land rose and spoke to all the assembled people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And he said to all the people of Judah, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house of a wooded height. See, Jeremiah had told them that there were some bad times coming. They didn't like to hear it, so they were going to put him to death. And so they were having his hearing, and once some of the elders stood up and said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We need to understand something here. Micah prophesied of this day. Micah Warned us of this day, and so we shouldn't be killing this guy Jeremiah. We should let him live. How many thinks Jeremiah probably did not think he was a minor prophet? <laughs> Saved his life. I mean, he was he was getting ready to die, and Jeremiah. They quoted Jeremiah. So it was some some awesome things. And Isaiah and Micah were contemporaries. Isaiah started a little bit earlier. He was under the reign of Uzziah. But then shortly after that, Micah came on the scene. And during their time frame, they were contemporaries. Now, week after next, two weeks from today, I'm going to be sharing about uh, Isaiah as he directs us to the Messiah. But uh, today we're looking at Micah. But Isaiah and Micah were contemporaries. And both prophesied of the sinfulness of Judah. And began pointing to the Messiah. They begin to tell Everybody, how bad it was, but they also begin to point to the Messiah. I want you to notice the time frame. Go to Book of Micah. And we read the first verse. It was quite lengthy time frame where it says, "The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth." And the days of Jotham, that was king. Ahaz, he was king. And Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, we need to remember that this time the kingdom was divided. And there were part of it was called Jerusalem, part of it was called Samaria. And so he was giving the prophecies. And so he served during the, the time frame of three kings. He probably died before Hezekiah did because Hezekiah uh, reigned for over 40 years, but he, his ministry was a long-term. His ministry was long-term and Ahaz, Ahaz, he's the one that closed the temple and built many altars to foreign gods. And Hezekiah who followed up Ahaz, reopened the temple and did many things to turn the people back to God. And he reigned over 40 years. But we have to get a picture of of the time frame. That during Micah's prophecies, he was telling the people how ungodly they were, but also reminding them that there was still hope in God. Aren't you glad there's still hope in God? You know, sometimes we want to emphasize how bad things are, how evil things are. And I tell you what, if you uh, look at enough news and if you read enough newspapers and you listen to all the gloom and doom, it can be very, very discouraging. But I'd like to encourage you today. Yes, there's a sad thing. And that's true. It was bad days during Ahaz's day, but it was also bad as Hezekiah took over. But God still offers hope to his people. I said, God still offers hope to his people. And the greatest hope he offers is the Messiah. Micah was looking forward to that day. We're looking forward to the day he's going to reappear. But we've got all the New Testament to live by. We've got all the New Testament to encourage us. We've seen God in his work. And it's an awesome, awesome thing that God is doing. In Micah chapter 5, we see one of the great prophecies in the Bible. Michael Micah chapter 5. Now let me go ahead and give a disclaimer. Almost assuredly I'm going to say Jerusalem and mean Bethlehem or I'm going to say Bethlehem and mean Jerusalem. How many of knows there's two different things? Okay. If I tell it wrong, you just let my wife know. Yeah, you were right. You, you were right. He messed up again. But I'm just telling you, uh, try to realize which one I'm talking about. Jerusalem is a capital city. Jerusalem where it's where the uh, temple was. Bethlehem was outside of the city of uh, Jerusalem by about six or seven miles. But let's read it. Micah chapter one, 5, verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, in other words, basically an insignificant, for you shall come forth for me One who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old and from ancient days. In other words, God had it planned a long time before Micah came along. It says, therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand... And shepherd his flock, and the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Prophesied about Jesus Christ being born. This was at least a hundred, excuse me, at least 700 years before it happened, but he told them where. Jesus would be born. Now, we may want to ask the question, why Bethlehem? Why was he born in Bethlehem? Well, there's some interesting things about Bethlehem. Number one, the reason he had to be born in Bethlehem is because he prophesied it. How many knows know that biblical prophecy has to be 100% on target? It can't be like the weather, man. If they get 30%, they're okay. By biblical prophets. Now, I know a lot of people, they, they want to put a prophet before their name. I'm not that brave. I like to think I'm a man of God. i like to believe that I'm, that I can speak for God and a prophet. We have to remember and understand is not just someone that foretells is somebody that foretells or tells the truth. So I certainly, in that respect, want to be uh, known as a prophet, but I tell you what, I, I'm never hundred percent right. And you know what the Old Testament says about old, te- old prophets? It's not hundred percent right. Stone them. I don't even want to be fruited. Much less stoned. Okay. But biblical prophets. Micah. Was 100% on. So what makes Bethlehem unique? Let me just share a few interesting facts. It's only about six miles from Jerusalem. Rachel. Who was who was Jacob's wife, Rachel was buried there. Elimiac and Naomi. How many of remembers that story of Ruth? This is where they're from. And remember, David was of the tribe of Benjamin. So therefore he had to go to Bethlehem or the tribe of Judah. He had to go to Bethlehem because that's where his, he was from. So, Naomi and Elimelech lived in Bethlehem. And to me, it's kind of ironic that when a famine hit, they left Bethlehem. And you know what the name of Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. House of bread. They left the house of bread and went to Moab. Now, Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth was from the Moabite. And so, Boaz, that was became Ruth's husband. Ruth and Boaz' great-grandchild was a guy that we know as David. He was born there in Bethlehem. He was from Bethlehem as well. And so, his great-grandmother was a Moabite. And if you remember the story, whenever uh, David was out with his army, when he was just getting started, and they were out in hiding in the cave, and he had that great army of a bunch of misfits and family. How many would how you like to lead a, a bunch of rejects in your family as an army? <laughs> that was who he had. Now, they later became his, his, some of them became his mighty men. But when going got rough and it got bad, what did David do with mom and dad? He took them to Moab. He took them to Moab. Now, there's good possibility they might have been taken to some uh, connection with his family that was there. Because that, with his mom and dad, one of them's family was from Moab. Or dad was from Moab. Or his granddad. I'll get it right in a minute. So, it's an amazing thing. And we need to remember also that the oldest Christian church today in existence today is the church of nativity built in 330. BC. So that's a little bit about Bethlehem. But one thing I think is very, very neat. I think this is neat. The bread of life was born in the house of bread. I said the bread of life was born in the house of bread. So not only did Micah prophesy and predict and tell that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, one of his key things was the definition of true religion, the definition of true religion. And that's recorded in chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. Some Bibles in their category says, Definition true religion. Someone say, What does God require? But listen to what he says With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Notice what else he says Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. I don't, I don't know if you get it there, but it's, it's really talking about you can make all kinds of off, offerings. And this could have been addressing the, some of the altars that Ahaz had built up. They'd begin to offer all kinds of sacrifices to other gods, all kinds of sacrifices to other gods. And you know, there was a time that even they were offering their children to Manasseh, the tri, uh, I mean, the god. They were offering their children. And could that be what says, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? I think for those of us that are Christians, we certainly understand the answer to that is a definite no. And I can tell you that regardless of how times have changed, we still cannot please God with how much we can give. I said, you can't please God by how much you can give. Now, he will be disappointed if you don't give what you're supposed to give. Just saying We need to understand that our spirituality is not based on what we can give, but what God has already done for us. Because notice this next verse, he has told you, O man, what is good. You want to please God? Gives you an answer. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? And to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. They had forgotten that. We often forget that. We forget what Jesus said. See, what Jesus said summed up there. What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's all wrapped it up. See, that's what it means to walk humbly with your God. To realize who he is and worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not about all the... uh, That we do it's not about all those things that we even may consider religious because all of those people those days thought taking a calf and giving it as a sacrifice was religious they thought they were doing these things or maybe they didn't think it they just did it because that was what was expected of them they said that's not it folks how we please God is walk humbly with God and to love other people the way God loves us and to treat them the way we want to be treated True religion. We need to understand that regardless of the sins of society society in which we live, true love or true religion is still the same. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these other things shall be added to you. Micah. Micah's name means who is like Jehovah. Who is like Jehovah? That's interesting to me because I don't know if that was a question. Was his parents asking that question when they named him who is like Jehovah? Or was it a statement? Was he acknowledging that there's, is there anyone like Jehovah? Is there anyone like Jehovah? I think most of us here today would be quick to point out many things about God that's unique. Is there anyone that loves like God? Is there anyone holy like God? I know some of you, like me, when Lee asked a while ago, how many of you think yourself is righteous? That's kind of a loaded question. Because in our own self, we're not righteous. Our righteousness, as good as we can be, is as filthy rags. But when we've taken on the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes us righteous. So Lee, I was raising one hand, leaving one down. I know in myself I'm not righteous. But in him, I'm righteous. There's no one holy, like the Lord. We know that He is our rock. We know that He is our peace. We know that in order to please Him, we must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And I think we can sum it up by saying He is who He is. Not He is who He was, but He is who He is. That's what He told Moses. Tell them, I am, have sent you. Not I was. Not that I will be, but I am. I thought it was interesting as Micah closed his letter in chapter 7. This is another prophecy that you may not consider a prophecy. But it asks that question Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. Do you, do you understand what he's saying? Who is a God that can totally forgive us? I know you probably know somebody, it wouldn't affect you, but you probably know somebody that says they forgive you, but they've. Remember something from 40 years ago? Huh? There's no one that can forgive you like God forgives you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression or wrongs for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. Now remember Micah writing to a sinful nation. He said, I don't want to remind you that God's anger is not everlasting, but his compassion is. And whenever I look at our great country, when I look at the world in which we're living and I see the transgression of, of leaving God, I'm encouraged by this prophecy. You say, why would you say that? Because I look over the nation of Israel. How many times did they fall? How many times did they fail God? How many times has God's people Turn their back on God. But how many times when we cry out to prayer. God hears the cry of our heart. He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in steadfast love. Steadfast love. A love that cannot be shaken. You know over the years I've. Heard a lot of things, and I've seen people forgive a lot. We often hear and think about a mother's love, how they overlook so many things that their kids have done. A dad overlooks so many things. Why? Because it's a love. But it's the greatest love that you have pales in comparison to the love of God. I'll say that again. The greatest love that you have pales in comparison to the love of God. I've said this before, and I I think it would be true. I believe if someone came in with a gun today and said, uh, somebody's got to die, I think I would be quick to volunteer myself. I really think I could. But I tell you what, if somebody came in and says, we're going to kill one of your children or one of your grandkids, I'd say, don't do that. Take Sam. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? That's love. I said, it's love when you're willing to give your only, what? Begotten son. And that's the love that God has for us. And remember, this was about 700 years before Jesus was born. He says, he will again... Have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. During Sunday school this morning, I, I went back and, and looked up how deep the sea was. Because as I was sharing this in the first service, I said, the, the sea, the ocean's deep. That's deep, but, but I didn't know how deep it was. So I went and looked it up, and, and parts of the ocean are over seven miles deep. You say, how deep is that? Well, if you took Mount Everest and placed it at the bottom of the ocean and placed another one on it, it would barely break the surface of the water. That's deep. That's deep. And your sins and my sins have cast into the depths of the sea. One of my favorite sayings, and many of you know this, is when the scripture says he'll separate your sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, I always repeat this because there's a lot of people that don't, haven't caught it yet. He didn't say it as far as the north is from the south. Because if you start going north, guess what happens? You're soon going to be going south. Once you cross the North Pole, you start heading south. But you start heading east, and you can never find west. You never get there. You keep traveling east. That's how far God's forgiven us of our sins, He's forgiven us our sins. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Yes, Micah was prophesying, prophesying hundreds of years to the future, but he's also remembered what happened in days of old. He said, our God is an awesome God. as where he said, a biblical prophet had to be a hundred percent accurate. He didn't miss on the fall of Samaria. He didn't miss it on Sennacherib's invasion. He didn't miss the fall of Jerusalem. He didn't miss the destruction of the temple, all done years in advance of when it happened. He did not miss the Exile in Babylon. He did not miss the return from exile. And he did not miss the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, well over 600 years later. Never missed. This prophecy that we met, just read in verse 18 and 20 is right on target. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us, he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob. And steadfast love to Abraham as you've sworn to our fathers from the days of old. You say, okay, pastor, what can we get from it today? I'd like to emphasize three truths. Number one, if you're not a child of God, you've got the full weight of your sins on yourself. I said, you've got the full weight on yourself. God wants to remove those sins. Jesus came, born in Bethlehem, according to Micah. So he can issue an invitation, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. I'll take that. So if you're here today or if you're watching online and you've never been forgiven of your sins, that's the number one thing that Jesus would have you to know that your sins can be cast into the sea, the depths of the sea, never to surface again. Secondly, if you're a born-again believer, call yourself a Christian, but you just have not been practicing true religion. Now, when I say religion today, I'm talking about true Christianity. We've not loved God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. We've not loved our neighbor as ourself. We need to be reminded that that's the reason Jesus died. So that we could have that kind of love. And thirdly, if you're here, or if you're watching online... And God has been so good to you and he's blessed you and you're so thankful today that your sins have been forgiven, then we ought to be praising God that our sins, the old terminology that I remember using as a child and here used, been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. Never to be remembered anymore. So where does a prophecy apply to you? That's your answer. What's your answer? Because his prophecy was 100% correct 2,000 years ago and is still 100% correct today. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the convicting power The Holy Spirit, thank you for the everlasting love of God and the forgiveness that we can have to have our sins, the depths of the sea. Now, Father, we ask you to minister, minister in a real way today, touch our lives, touch our hearts, strengthen us, encourage us minister to each and every one is our prayer. We're gonna open the altars this morning. If you need forgiveness of your sin, I can't think of a better day to be forgiven. Let God forgive your sins. If you're here and you've kinda been meandering away and doing your own thing, haven't been practicing true religion, how about committing that over to God again? And if you're here today and say, man, I'm so glad to know that God is my father, my sins are forgiven, and they're in the sea of forgetfulness. If there's nothing else, friends, we ought to be lifting our voices in praise of God's forgiveness. Amen. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.